The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. As we do indeed head into week number two of our adventure, our six-part fall annual series, and our incredible theme, Your Essential Spark, igniting a yes-powered, soul-stirring vision. In your life. Now, the core message of this series is that there is a divine spark within each and every one of us. It's a spark of divine spirit. It's it's the spark of vibrant, creative life. That spark in you is the sacred coding of your soul. It is the God seed at the center of your being. It is the most unique and precious you called into being by divine love. And when we reignite and and rediscover this spark, it immediately brings us into a field of ever-expanding vision for our lives. It's, It's when we are able to say to the universe, I know who I am, I know the sacred essence that's happening at the center of my being. Let it be. Let it be, let it unfold, let it show me, let it guide me and inspire me to something greater than I even know. So indeed, in this adventure in faith, we've got an incredible opportunity to cultivate a soulful and compelling vision to drive our lives. Uh, Perhaps remembering it's written in the Bible that where there is no vision, the people perish. And indeed, something in us withers if we haven't kept the flame of vision alive, a sense of where we're going and what matters most in our lives. And uh, last week, we took our first step in the message reunion, a spark in the heart, inviting you to spend some time in your heart. Because it's the heart that really knows what your life is about. I mean, we may have programmed ourselves to think we should do this, should do that, and we've got a mental model of our lives, but we've invited ourselves to strip all that away Spend a little time connecting in the heart where that spark of life resides and inquiring as to what really matters to us, what really wants to unfold by means of us. Also remembering what we said last last week, that as we allow a vision to emerge and to build over these six weeks, we want to make sure that we're creating our future from our future, not from our past. Our new vision isn't about eliminating this or that or, or taking care of this or that or bringing more into this or that. It's about something unfolding and revealing itself to us. Maybe something bigger than we even know yet. But the heart knows. The heart knows. And that's establishing the foundation for our vision. A great author on vision, Linda Marks, wrote, Most simply stated, vision is our creative power. Vision is our ability as human beings to want, sense, imagine, and bring into being new forms, structures, and possibilities in partnership with life. Vision enables us to cooperate with life's higher purpose, reaching far beyond our own limits toward our highest and most passionate aspirations. Vision. So important. And today, we want to take a look at the aspect of human experience that is most likely to throw a towel over the vision, most likely to cause us to ignore, to neglect, or to give up on our vision. 
And that's the darkness that we can encounter in our lives. Or what the mystic called the dark night of the soul. So today's topic is transcendence. A spark in the dark. Transcendence. Yes, indeed, there can be those dark times in our lives. I'm reminded of the story of uh, uh, an area in the Midwest. They'd had some torrential rainfall. And so all of the ditches and the potholes were full of water and there were a lot of puddles all around. And a young mom stood at her kitchen window watching her two boys outside in the backyard playing and playing in one of the puddles out there. And all of a sudden, her oldest son, a pesky five-year-old, grabs his younger brother by the back of the head and shoves his head down into the water in a puddle. And then the younger brother steps up laughing and recovering and dripping. Well, with that, the mom rushes out to the backyard and grabs the older son and shakes him. What has gotten into you? Why would you slam your brother down into that, that pool? And the little boy with wide eyes said, Mommy, we were just playing church. I was baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Now the sacred meaning of that parable is isn't it true that there are times we feel like our whole lives have been just shoved into a deep hole and we're drowning. The overwhelming times, you know, the heartbreaking times in our lives uh, where we don't know what to do and we don't know if we've got the wisdom and strength to do it if we did. It can be personal or collective, the the personal times of the dark night, the, the devastating times, the unexpected changes, heart-wrenching losses, setbacks, failures, addictions, depression, pessimism, dreary living. Who among us hasn't had some aspect of that along our path? It feels so dark on our path. And then there's the collective experiences of darkness. Of course, throughout history, and then of course, so prevalent now, We see the toxic divisiveness, a huge shadow over us, it seems. You know, continued discrimination, as if we haven't learned, racial discrimination continuing, discrimination against our gay, lesbian, and transgendered brothers and sisters, against immigrants. Then there's the environmental erosion, and our silly idea is not to trust the science of it. And then increasing global tensions, and it seems dark. And I know there's a part of us that just says, what in the world are we going to do? What can we do in the midst of this, in our own lives or in life in general? What in the world can we do? Is it, do we just throw in the towel? Do we just conclude that the whole human experiment has gone awry and it's not going to work? And just numb ourselves, distract ourselves? until it's over? Is that really what we're capable of? No. And yet it's tempting, isn't it? It's tempting to be that discouraged. I want to offer you these reminders if you're in that kind of a place. The first thing is that we must never, ever allow our visionary capacity to be overwhelmed or diminished 
by dark times like these. In fact, it's, it's actually in the darkest of times when we must not only protect our vision, but expand it, explore it even more, and expand it. Oh, the, the, there's a great mystic poet, Rabindranath, Rabindranath Tagore, and, and he said something so beautiful. Vision, like the bird that feels the light and sings when the dawn is still dark like the bird that feels the light and sings when the dawn is still dark. It's like we're called upon to proclaim our vision even while it's still dark and to sense with all our being that something that's trying to dawn, a light that's trying to come forth, what's trying to be birthed amidst our crises. Don't give up that vision. But also remember that A vision born of God or of spirit cannot be destroyed. And that 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 spark in us all can be fanned into a flame of new vision and new energy. Oh, I like to remember that it's it's written in the Bible that God is light and in him is no darkness. See, darkness is merely the absence of the reality which is light. Darkness is a privation, not a reality. And it's also written, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. And we get to be the ones shining that light. Sometimes I think we we tend to see in a very tiny sense of perspective. We're just thinking about our own walk on the planet and history as we know it. And it helps to remember that evolution is always unfolding life and, and, and giving outlets for the greater intelligence and livingness of the creator, no matter what. This ever unfolding expression of of God or of life is always ongoing. Uh, Even when it seems like the conditions are too great, still it finds a way. Uh, Paleontologists tell us that it was probably about 200,000 years ago that human consciousness came into expression in the stunning debut called Homo sapiens. Now that was an epical moment in evolution upon this planet, but understand that that happened immediately following an ice age of 10,000 years. So you might think that that potentiality, that possibility of the breakthrough of conscious aware beings would have been destroyed in the ice and in the desolation of all of that. But the wheels of higher evolution kept turning. And so it seems like the intelligence of the heart of this universe is incredibly resilient. And it finds ways and means. Right now, I believe we are the ways and means through which it can continue to advance its forward momentum. But understanding that life on this planet has gone through so much, (laughs) meteor strikes, the shifting of tectonic plates that have totally removed continents and built up new ones, cataclysmic events of every kind, the arrival and the disappearance of certain species. I mean, we've been through it all, and always life keeps moving forward. And it might do us well to remember that perspective of things when we seem to be sinking in the darkness we face and, and tune into that. That there's something forward moving in this. And what if I aligned myself with that? What if I took the responsibility 
to align myself with that upper progressive movement of the Spirit, it's called. The upper progressive movement of the Spirit to reveal more life to all of its creation. I believe that another form of humanity is on the brink of coming forth that will be as epical as Homo sapiens. And many are calling this Homo universalis. Whereas Homo sapiens were grounded in in an individual self-conscious orientation in which the ego is birthed, Homo universalis will be beings that are normalized at the level of cosmic consciousness wherein we know of a certainty as a humanity that we are one with the infinite and that we are its outlets and that we are one with one another and we finally become the stewards that can build up the kingdom of heaven on earth on earth as it is in the mind of God remember that that's evolutionary power and if you, if you get anything out of all of this remember also that when it seems so dark, we must not look for the light out there, thinking that it'll get lighter when there's different people around. That it'll get lighter when this and that problem is solved. Remember that fundamentally, the light we seek is within us. Within us. That's why the greatest teacher, he said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Don't cover it up. Don't let conditions Block the expression of that light in you. It will not go out. So don't cover it up. Let your light shine. And our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, wrote, We know the background of human thought is, to a great extent, one of negation, a denial of a harmonious and spiritual universe. Consequently, our outlook on life must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We must relight the torch of our imagination by fire caught from heaven. We must remain faithful to this vision, for a realization of the presence of God is the secret power of our work. Let's keep it a secret no longer. You and I are outlets for the divine, and the spark of light and life can be fanned into a visionary flame within us. So we need to be ready. We need to have some specific things that we can do, stages we can move ourselves through when it seems so dark and foreboding in our life or in our world. So I got four of them to lay on you. And I love the poetic beauty of these. These are the four. You've got to face it, embrace it, replace it, and grace it. I know, it is impressive. Face it, <laughs> embrace it, replace it and grace it let's talk about the first step in the midst of the darkness you've got to face it it does us no good to deny to avoid to run away with what's going on in our lives our teaching is not a spiritual bypass around openly seeing what needs to be seen engaging what needs to be engaged handling what needs to be handled How can we bring our greater possibilities and creative abilities forward in our lives if we're not acknowledging what there is that we need to deal with? And it's not going to do us any good as a society to run away from or deny what's going on. And instead, we need to stand for compassion. We need to stand for what Mark Nepo called the literacy of the heart. Keep the literacy of the heart alive in our culture We've got to face it. And it's by facing what is that we can then call upon the greater resources within us because 
There's always something important in what is to be revealed to us. I'd like to introduce you to, to a lady named Lucy Calith, Calith, excuse me, Kalanithi, Lucy Kalanithi. Um, and she's a beautiful lady. Here's a picture of her with her beautiful young daughter, Katie. Dr. Lucy is a, a, a doctor, and so was her husband, Paul. In fact, he was a well-acclaimed neurosurgeon before he got his own diagnosis of terminal cancer. And so he went from the medical profession to writing, to writing about his transition from being a doctor to now being a patient. I like what one thing he said here. I had to face my mortality and try to understand what made my life worth living. So often we run away from the idea that we're just here for a short time, dancing with the beautiful ones we've attracted to ourselves, and that it's brief. It's a blinking of the, the, an eye. Of course, we're eternal beings, and yet this experience is brief. So sometimes when you face that, you make it even richer. So they decided to have a child before he died, not only as his legacy, but so that he could savor those precious infant years along with wife Lucy. And Lucy writes, when Paul said to me, it's going to be okay, it meant that we learned to accept both joy and sadness at the same time, to uncover beauty and purpose, both despite and because we are all born and we all die. And for all the sadness and sleepless nights, it turned out there is joy. I leave flowers on Paul's grave and watch our two-year-old run around on the grass. I build bonfires on the beach and watch the sunset with our friends. Exercise and mindfulness meditation have also helped a lot. Most importantly, I get to watch our daughter grow, engaging in the full range of experience. Living and dying, love and loss, is what we get to do. Being human doesn't happen despite suffering. It happens within it. What a wonderful, elegant, Example of someone who faced what was going on and found riches in the midst of it that made life even more meaningful. What is it that it's time to face for you? Until you face it, it runs you. When you face it, you begin to embrace the keys to transcendence. Because the partner to facing it then is to embrace it. If we embrace the situation we're in, we can then receive its gifts. And every situation, however dark it may seem, does bear gifts to every one of us. A wonderful Spanish mystic of the 16th century, St. John of the Cross, coined the term I used earlier, the dark night of the soul. For those passages in our life where it seems like we lose our faith, we lose our grounding, we lose our sense of what it's all about. And in writing about that, he said the, the key to transcendence is to surrender. Surrender. And, and stop fighting it. And instead embrace it. And when you do, three things will happen. First of all, you'll experience a, a sense of relief. Secondly, a sense of release from being the puppet of the situation. But then he said a strange thing happens. In the midst of the dark night of the soul, there comes that realization that you don't want this situation or experience to pass too quickly before you get the gifts that it came to give you. Acknowledging that there are gifts there in, in the very midst of that situation. 
Sometimes the gifts are that we deepen uh, and, and our spiritual life, especially our prayer life, blossoms in a deep and rich way because we know the power of prayer to get us through, to remind us of the truth of life and the truth of our being. So important prayer is. Prayer is the most reliable wireless connection, by the way. (laughs) The most reliable wireless connection is prayer. And as, as we deepen in the midst of it, we really open ourselves to becoming mighty in the midst. And new insights, transformational insights, and, and uh, the re-enchantment of our life is made available. A 32-year-old young man stood on the shores of Lake Michigan. He was going to jump in. He was going to end it all. You see, one of his children had died about four years earlier. And then a business venture he had created had collapsed and he felt humiliated and friends of his had also lost money in the venture. And now, on top of all that, a new baby was on the way. And he had no idea how he was going to feed that baby, much less his wife and himself. And his irrationality amidst the darkness was that if I just jump in, I'll be out of the way and my family will swoop in and take care of my wife and baby. But he stood there and he just watched the waves lap up on the shore and he felt the breeze in his hair and his thinking calmed and then it happened. A flash of what I would hold to be mystic insight came over him and he heard a voice that said to him, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to the universe. And with that, it seemed like a whole greater understanding was opened up to him. He began to realize how everything, even the most difficult things on his journey, had their place, that they were evolving him, and that the universe wasn't against him. And all of this had a higher purpose. He sensed that. And then right there on those shores, he made a covenant, a two-part covenant, with himself. That number one, from now on he was going to think for himself and not let other voices determine where he would go or how he would feel. And secondly, he made a covenant to do everything he could for the rest of his days in solving the challenges and troubles that face humankind. Well, he left that shore and a vast creativity opened up to this man over his years. He lived 56 more years and became known as a Renaissance man, one of the most brilliant people of our culture. And I'm speaking of Buckminster Fuller, Bucky Fuller. I've met Bucky. We had him here for a symposium, a beautiful soul and a genius. The litany of the things he accomplished in those years. He was an inventor, architect, engineer, mathematician, poet, cosmologist. There he's standing before his institute and the geodesic dome that his mind birthed. 25 U.S. patents, 28 books, many inventions, honorary doctorates at 47 universities, and many, many other awards. From the brink of caving into the darkness to brilliant light. There are gifts, so many gifts available to you and me. We've got to embrace them. Face it. 
Embrace it. Embrace the deeper purposes and possibilities. And then replace it. You see, what happens when we are immersed in the darkness is fear takes over in most cases and runs us and limits our creativity, limits our perspectives, and and pretty much covers over any sense of vision that we might have had for our lives. So having faced it and embraced the gifts, it's time to replace that fear with the ultimate antidote, and that is love. And then replace the desolation with a new seed of vision. We need love and a new sense of purpose or vision, even when things seem so lost. As it says in the Bible, perfect love casts out fear. An article was written this summer in our Denver Post about a wonderful guy, uh, Jeff Lowe. He's a mountain climbing legend. He has had more than a thousand first ascents. I think here's a picture of him on a mountainside, perhaps. And we'll see which one comes up here. Well, that's just his general picture of him. Uh, He was feared, however, to be near death about three years ago. Uh, and several times since. He's living with a uh, neurodegenerative disease similar to ALS, but not quite like ALS. He's now 66. He's in a wheelchair. He's unable to speak. He types out his communications letter by letter onto a machine that uh, speaks for him. But, you know, he's fighting for his life, and he's telling everybody around him that he's still alive And he's savoring life. He's savoring the beauty of our wonderful Rocky Mountains and nature all around here. As he continues to be present in his life, he was near death several times, but some friends finally convinced him to take a a supplement that could boost his immune system. And for him, it worked. And he's lived for three more years since then. And he's even now in in the process of exploring what his vision would be, since maybe what they've said is going to happen for him is not going to happen. But he brings a whole level of heart. And a documentary has been done about him called Metanoia, a transformative change of heart. And he wrote an article for a publication and he says to us, you can live a life based in fear and you'll get more of what you're afraid of. Or you can base your life in love and anything is possible. Place your confidence in your dreams, not in your nightmares. Replace that energetic of fear with love and the seeding of a new sense of vision. Even if you don't know what that full-orbed vision will be, something in you does know. Plant the seed. Stake your claim to that. Face it. Embrace it. Replace it. And then grace it. This is our ability to create acts and evidences of grace even in the midst of the darkest of times or the darkest situations of our lives. In fact, one of the greatest ways to turn around your life if it feels like a dark night is how can I be a giver of grace? How can I go forward and and plant some seeds of grace in other people's lives? And what if we responded to all the horrific things that seem to be happening right and left nowadays by determining that we too would express acts of grace. We bring grace to bear upon what was going on. That's what happened for a man named Bob Vortuba. He was deeply saddened, shocked by the 2007 shootings uh, at Virginia Tech. And he asked himself, "What, what, what, what could I do in the face of this horror? And he came up with an idea. He sold everything he had, and he bought an old school bus, 
He asked family and friends to help him decorate every square inch of it with inspirational sayings about kindness. And he got his dog, that's his dog Bogart, that he rescued, and the two of them set out to go all around the country to spread words of kindness. There's some of the phrases of kindness adorning his bus. And everywhere he goes, here's his challenge. He challenges, he has accepted the commitment, and he challenges us to do a million acts of kindness in our lifetime. Now that's a profound commitment, but it's also a capacity that we have. And so he's on his kindness bus tour for a million acts of kindness, and he also says, choose a cause also. One thing you want to support that is for good. The cause he's chosen is to uh, address bullying and adolescent suicide, as he also seeks to express a million acts of kindness in his life. Just imagine if we all said, when something happens that feels so forlorn and out of alignment, we're going to bring into the system of life an even greater and more powerful grace. Because that darkness cannot prevail, especially when our lights shine just that brightly. Yeah, face it. Embrace the gifts. Replace the fear with love and a sense of purpose. And then grace your life. Grace other lives. Be an outlet of grace. Let that light shine. A wonderful couple had been married for many, many years. We're excitedly looking forward to her husband's retirement. They planned to travel and spend a lot of time with family and friends. And uh, a month after he retired, he died. Of course, his widow was absolutely shocked, grieving at the deepest of levels. In fact, when she was preparing his headstone for his grave, she had chiseled into it on the bottom, underneath all the other information, the light of my life has gone out. It was a deep and dark path for her. But the nice thing is that she did find our teaching, the science of mind and spirit along the way, and started taking some classes and entering into the practices. And she kind of got more and more over several years involved in a community, and then she met a guy in this center, a wonderful man, a kind man, who just gently encouraged her to have a cup of coffee with him, then go have a picnic, and then go to the theater. And over time, something deep evolved, and they fell in love. And she accepted his proposal for marriage. And three years after her first husband's uh, passing, she was married. And everything seemed fine, except she was troubled by that inscription on the headstone. And she thought, maybe I just need to get a different headstone and put it there. But then the spark of inspiration hit. And she called the stonemason. And instead of replacing that, she had a different inscription put underneath the light in my life has gone out. And the new inscription was, I struck another match. (laughs) Transcendence is when in the midst of darkness you face it, you embrace it, you replace it, you grace it. Transcendence is when you strike another match, no matter what. Transcendence is when you recognize that there's no ultimate reality in the darkness, 
but that you are an activity of the eternal and indestructible light of the divine transcendence. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote, people are like stained glass, nice to look at, but their truest glory is revealed only when it's dark and the light shines through them. May we keep our visions lighted and our glory revealed.